Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. When your life and your business grow as a result of what you're about to discover, please call me and tell me about it. The number to leave a voicemail is one 888 844-GROW. That's 1-888-844-4769. Long distance charges may apply. Dial now to call me, connect, share your personal story of how my interviews have helped, or share your current challenges and frustrations so I can connect you with an appropriate course, coach, or help you if you connect. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we have our fourth interview with a very special guest. If you like this and after, you'll definitely want to go back and listen to the others. Today we're talking with a man I've admired and followed for years. A man I'm talking about is the one and only the irreplaceable Glenn Livingston. So Glenn is a PhD veteran psychologist from a family of 17 psychologists and the longtime CEO of a consulting firm which sold over 20 million in services to several Fortune 500 clients. You've probably seen his or his company's work. Disillusioned with what traditional psychology had to offer overweight and food-obsessed individuals, Dr. Livingston, Glenn, spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. Most importantly, however, was his own personal journey out of obesity and food prison to a normal, healthy weight and a much more light-hearted relationship with food. He's written a book on it, which is on Amazon, and he's got his website, neverbingeagain.com, and for almost three years, his book has been number one or number three in a highly, highly competitive market. So I've asked Glenn to come back with and join us today to talk about book marketing, really resonating with an audience, and how we can kind of be more relevant to our followers. So Glenn, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you? I'm very good. I'm glad to be here as always, guys. Yeah, I wanted to just get the bio out of the way because I just had so many questions already. I was like, okay, but what about this? What about this? I was like, I just need to hit record and just start asking this stuff on here. So um, Let's do it. Yeah, well, because, all right, to be number one to number three in such a highly competitive, I mean, weight loss is, right, weight loss is not, it's not, a, I mean, you found a niche, but it's not a niche in the sense of it's a big niche. It's a big pond. It's a big pool. And to be able to remain number one, number three for three years like does that take a ton of upkeep is there a lot of effort do you have a team of like 50 slaves hammering away to try to keep it number one like how do you what do you yeah um no 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 no. it's a um honestly it's so strange because this is the book this is the market that i didn't research (laughs) 
that out. <coughs> this is the market that I didn't research. If you listen to my previous calls, you know that I was really big into marketing research and I had all these successful markets that I put a lot of time and formulas into to figure out how to enter. This was the market that I basically just told my personal story of recovering from my own struggles with binge eating. And most people don't know about it because I'm pretty tall and pretty much there. And so I hide it pretty well, but I am 30 years of very severe struggling with, um, you'd call it exercise, believe me, exercise, which, which means I couldn't put my finger down my throat. But if I worked out for a few hours a day, I could eat most of what I wanted to until I got older and I couldn't. And, um, you know, I tried everything and I went very traditional psychological routes and it just, I just, I, I wasn't, wasn't getting it. And I developed a very strange way of controlling it um, on my own, um, you know, with, with the input of some giants before me and people that I read and, you know, forums that I joined and research that I did, but not re not marketing research, but research into how to overcome food addiction. And I kept a journal, and it was a journal about me versus my inner pig. And I figured a lot of things out, a lot of the crazy things that it told me to get me to overeat. I figured out how to disempower them. And while I was getting divorced, I needed something to do because it really wasn't clear how all the businesses were going to, you know, be split up and wind up having to close most of them. And um, I, through my various adventures in business, I had wound up an 8% partner in a minor publishing company. And the CEO said, you know, we could really use something to publish to prove that we know what we're doing so we could attract better authors. And I said, well, I, I don't really want to work on anything major right now. I've got this journal. And over the summer, I edited the journal into a book. Mm. I gave it to him. Yeah. I gave it to him, and basically, he, he knew a lot about Amazon. He knew a lot about how to put things together on Amazon. And he said, when everybody's doing it wrong, everybody is trying to beat the system and fool the algorithm, and, you know, just like everybody used to do with Google and the systems of marketing in the old days. Right. And he said, what, what you need to do is give the algorithm what it really wants, which is a really solid book and, you know, solid reviews from real people who are in the market. Most people apparently, when they try to push a book to number one so they could say that they were a bestseller, they get a bunch of their friends or they you know, email a whole bunch of people in all sorts of different markets to, you know, to email their list. And the problem with that is that it teaches Amazon the wrong thing. It will push you to number one for a couple of days, but it teaches Amazon the wrong thing. So, for example... I, I have a list of more than 30,000 entrepreneurs who follow me, but I did not email that when we launched the book. Because if I did, Amazon would have thought, and, and it got all these good reviews from people who were on my entrepreneurial list, Amazon knows who those people are and what other things they buy, and it would have decided that my book was about being an entrepreneur and it had nothing to do with it. And so it would have faded from number one pretty quickly and just got into obscurity. And most people can't stay in the number one to number three position because they teach Amazon the wrong thing about their book. And then they lose the benefit of Amazon's algorithm. And Amazon's algorithm is where the real 
that's the monster. They've got 600 million readers on their list. Mm-hmm. And, and credit so cards. You want, them, you, want, yeah, you want them as a joint venture partner. You don't want all these people that have 10,000 readers, readers on the list or 100,000. Um, so, you know, we did that, and I, I took the time to research the top 1,000 reviewers on Amazon. I found the kind of about 50 people who were not only a top 1,000 reviewer, but who had reviewed similar books favorably. And in some cases, I went and I read the other books that they reviewed, and I wrote them each an individual letter. I worked with about 50 people very specifically. And I got four or five of the top 1,000 reviewers, and a bunch of them were in the top 100, which really helped me. I got them to review the book, and that seemed to kick things into gear. And then, um, you know, so, so the book was really good. It, it works in a way that other things don't work. But then in the book itself, I embedded not one ethical bribe, but 11 different ethical bribes. So I made a really good ethical bribe for every chapter so that the incentive for people to go opt in once they got on the book, once they downloaded the book, which I offered for free, um, the incentive for them to opt in was much bigger and that they would be qualitatively happier once they did opt in because they'd say, wow, I got all this other great stuff. It's almost like a whole, you know, the kind of thing you charge $100 for for an info product way back in the day. It's, that's, that's what I was giving away. Right. And, and so when we give it away, we then ask for a review. So at the time that they're happiest, we ask for a review. And we would get it. You know, the, the happiest people who were going up in and get all this great stuff, we would then get a review from them. And we'd form a cycle. And so we started getting more and more reviews. And the more people that got reviews, the more traffic we got, the more reviews we got. And, um, you know, before you knew it, we had 50 reviews. And then things really started to take off. Now we've got 2,000 reviews, so more than 2,000. It's crazy. And, um, I don't do a lot. I, I hired a podcast publicist to get me a lot of other people's podcasts. I, I use Amazon pay-per-click, a um, little, little other advertising. But basically, I just started talking to other people's podcasts, and I had that system in place. And, it, you know, it's um, I, I wrote this article a long time ago on marketing called The Voice of Contrarian Reason. Mm-hmm. And... Basically, what it says is that in every market, there are some critically ignored needs and customers are being told exactly the wrong thing. And this book met those needs. People in the weight loss market are told they should follow guidelines as opposed to rules, but it's not really true because guidelines wear down your willpower. Right. Um, I, I will I will avoid chocolate 90% of the time means that every time you're in front of a chocolate bar, you have to make another decision as opposed to I'll only ever eat chocolate the last three days of the calendar month. Well, that's still 90% of the time not having it, but all your decisions have been made. Mm. And there are, a whole bunch of, there are a whole bunch of things like that, which um, got people's attention. They're very contrarian. And then I guess my credentials, you know, people would introduce me and I did this really giant study and I'd been in all these major magazines and periodicals and then I'd say, 
well, yeah, but see, I have this pig inside me, see? <laughs> and um, I think it just got people's attention and took some shock value. And in some ways, I got lucky right place at the right time. Um, other, other ways, it was the culmination of a lifetime of marketing and, you know, a lifetime of soul searching and trying to figure out how to, how to fix the problem and finally doing it. Right. I love this. So, okay, let's recap that a little bit. So um, years of figuring out how to solve a problem and then sharing your personal journey on how you did it. Um, and then again, in the beginning, you didn't try to game anything. You were just very sincere, it seems like, from the start. You, you had a good book. You put together a quality product. You went and researched the other products in the market. You got to know them intimately, it sounds like. Now, I was a little confused, though, because you said you researched the top 1,000 reviewers on Amazon. Okay. You found 50 who reviewed similar books favorably. Okay. You wrote them a letter. Okay. You got a couple. And you said you even bought some of the books? What do you, like, the reviewers were also authors? Or No. So, let's say um, there's a competitive book of mine. is called Brain Over Binge. Okay. And... When I found a reviewer who reviewed Brain Over Binge positively, rather than just saying, hey, I noticed you like Brain Over Binge, I went and I read Brain Over Binge, and then I figured out how my book was like Brain Over Binge and how would it, it would extend the premise. And I wrote, to the author, I wrote to the reviewer and said, hey, I noticed that you gave Brain Over Binge five stars, and I liked XYZ that you said specifically about the book. Well, did you know that Never Binge Again extends that premise by ABC? Got and it. So it was really obvious that I've been following their work. Right. And, and I hooked into something that they'd written in particular, and I showed them why reading my book would extend their knowledge base. And it was, it was um, now, you know, and then, of course, I said, I'll send you a free copy, and I'll take whatever review you give me. Now, let me ask, what kind of, like, groundwork, prep work, non-glamorous, like, how many hours are we talking here? Like, obviously, you spent years personally going through this journey yourself, but when it comes to, like, okay, I'm going to launch this book, <clears throat> and I'm going to go, and I'm going to do the research with the top reviewers, and I'm, and I'm, like, I just want, like, a realistic perspective, like, this, all this prep work, right? Like, all this prep work, of re you weren't getting paid, you're going through the reviewers, you're offering to send them books. Right? You're, you're not getting a check cut for any of this yet. So it's like all of this background prep work, how many hours approximately or how many, how long of a period of time are we talking about? Well, I came up with a set of criteria that would qualify a reviewer as a prospect for me. Mm -hmm. And I gave those criteria to a guy in the Philippines. Yep. And he spent a week going through everything and getting that list of 50 people for me. Right. Um, <laughs> Then I, I probably spent an afternoon verifying that, you know, indeed this was a good list to go after. And then, you know, it was my main activity for a week or so. Okay. Um, in order, I was getting divorced. Everything else was getting shut down. I wanted something to distract me. And this is an area that's always been very, very important to me. Um, I, I always wanted to be uh, a successful author. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, it kind of bothered me that I, I, I had a publishing company. I published all these books on guinea pigs and alpacas and rabbits, <laughs> and I made a bunch of money doing that. But, you know, they were all ghostwritten, and I wasn't really, I didn't really have an audience that was following what I was saying. I, I had that in marketing, but I didn't really have a, 
Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm a psychologist first and foremost. People think of me as a marketer first and foremost, or a businessman first and foremost, but I'm really not. Right. I'm like I'm I'm in this world to make a difference, and I I got into marketing because I was interested in psychoeducation. Like how do you mm-hmm. how do you benefit the masses from everything that I knew about psychology? Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a nice thing for me to be doing. This was very enjoyable for me. Hmm. Um, I was re- re- I was becoming more of an expert. I was reading all these interesting books that were very related. I was reading everybody's opinions about them. And I was really getting prepared to get out there and talk about it. So um, I didn't, it, like it didn't seem like an annoying thing that I had to do to make money. It seemed like a welcome vacation from everything I'd been doing otherwise. Right. And a nice nice respite from all the pain of the divorce. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I love it. I love it because it's just from sincere. So then we talk about the voice of contrarian reason. So this is where the common knowledge of a group of people is just wrong. It's just wrong. Like when you look at it, when you read it, and you can get a lot of flack. I mean, it you know, that you create a lot of polarity in a market when you have that stance because people are going, hey, this person's saying X, Y, Z, and it makes a lot of sense. But that's not what we've been told by all these other people forever. And so why is that an important thing? Well, you become the guy that stands up and says the emperor has no clothes. And people around you say, holy crap, the emperor has no clothes. Why isn't anybody else talking about this? What this guy has, has you know, and if you, um, if you, if you build proof around it and you have the credentials to tell that story and you build an origin story about the you know, trials and tribulations and pains that you went through to figure it all out, then um, you know, people start sharing that story. It becomes, it becomes news. It becomes very significant news. And you, you stand out from the crowd, and particularly in a market where people really aren't succeeding in you know, in weight loss, everybody gains the weight back and more. So there's a lot of pain in the market. It becomes a viable, realistic reason that people aren't succeeding and, um, you know, and something they're interested in trying. So mm. it, it's, re- it's, it's really, it's another way of talking about a unique selling proposition. Like the, the classic question you ask to determine whether you have a unique selling proposition is, why should people do business with you as opposed to every other option in the market, including the option of doing nothing? And if your answer is because everybody else is wrong and I can prove it, then you got something. Mm. Say that again, because everyone else is wrong. Because everybody else is wrong. Everything else you've been told about weight loss is wrong and I can prove it. And I can prove it. And, and if, if you have a real desperate problem, if people are really, suffering how do you not listen to that yeah if they have a bleeding neck if a bleeding neck you'll get their full attention yeah so you know one of the markets i researched way back when was the radon mitigation market Mm -hmm. and one of the things i found out was that it was entirely possible to still get radon induced lung cancer at levels that were below the government recommended standard for radon in your home mm. and you know that that was a very strong message that people said 
you mean I'm about to move in this home? The government's going to tell me it's perfectly perfectly safe, but my kid's going to have lung cancer. Um, you know, and, and and yeah, everybody else is telling you to do it wrong. You should mitigate below this level. And by the way, there are only certain ways to get that done. Um, you know, in in the alpaca market people weren't revealing a lot of the tax advantages, the specific ways to get tax advantages in the limitations of what's called Section 179. And so it was actually possible to have the government buy your alpacas for you. The alpaca market's not really a good market anymore. It's, um, the bottom fell out of it. But at the time, there were an animal that was fairly expensive. You didn't, you didn't have to hurt them to uh, make money with them, and it was a no-kill market, and and the government was subsidizing it in a big way, and people didn't really know about it, and so that became a you know a voice of contrarian reason, like what, why is the industry keeping the secret, and what are the real limitations, and you can hear from real uh, alpaca specialist accountants, and uh-huh. so if if you can find that. If you can figure out what the bleeding deck is and how people are being misled, then resolve it. Right. So now, all right, so there's another key component to this, and that's the actual marketing savvy that you have. Because even if you did have this voice of contrarian contrarian reason, even if you did have a really sincere, authentic, uh, quality book, quality product to put out into there, it may or may not have been able to take off like it has. So the second part of that was that you knew the marketing, you knew marketing skills, or you had the marketing skills, and you knew what it would take. So you went and got social proof from people whose opinions mattered, not only to the market, but to Amazon. And you went and you didn't try to get any, like, there were no shortcuts. You you took the time to connect with these people on a real level and to make a meaningful, have meaningful interactions with them, and then to get them to endorse your product. And once you did that, then you even went another step where you then wanted to make sure that every time someone did business with you by buying your book instead of someone else's, that you over-delivered. And you over-delivered in a big way. You didn't just have one thing that they could, one download, get some companion spreadsheets, get some companion videos, get some companion XYZ. You had 11 different items just to bombard them with value. And also, that builds your list and your following. So now... You've got uh, all the heavyweights in the industry at least saying, hey, this Glenn guy is onto something. It's worth, it's worth checking out. And then when people come check you out, you overwhelm them sure. with value. And by doing it, build a list, an email list, where now you can build a relationship with these people. And then you can send them either back to your book. You can refer them to their friends. You can just keep educating them. You're building a community of people who know, like, and trust you. Um, well, and, and they're like, I overwhelm them with value again and social proof again at that point too. Mm. So remember, the book is free. The book is free for a Kindle Nook or PDF. We wound up making a bunch of money on the paperback and the Audible version, but um, that wasn't part of the plan. I, mm. I always intended for the book to be free. I never intended the book for the book to be the business. So they get on the list, and then at this point, I've recorded hundreds of demonstration sessions where I take people from feeling powerless and confused and hopeless about their ability to um, stop overeating to feeling excited and hopeful and enthusiastic within, um, within one session. Over and over and over again, people hear these sample sessions. And, you know, by the time they've heard a couple of dozen of them, 
they are interested in what we can offer from a coaching perspective, and that's where we that's where we make the money. And because I knew because I knew that the book was not going to be the revenue generator in the business, and I've seen enough marketing funnels to understand how that works. I, um, you know, I, I built out this follow-up system and, and took my time in selling people. And then once we actually did start selling people, our value per download, like every time someone downloads that ebook, um, that value went sky high as compared to what most people on Amazon would make from trying to sell a book. And you know, Amazon has their own advertising system, and the prices there are naturally constrained by the fact that most authors can't make more than you can make on a book. Right. Amazon's prices are very, and and so the it's really an undervalued asset for a marketer like me who understands how to build a funnel and you know sell people a $500 or $2,500 program from that. So once that was there, we could bid a lot higher in that advertising, and then that added more to the more to the positive snowball, and it just started rolling. Got it. So all right. So what we're talking about here, for those that missed it, is lifetime customer value. So what Glenn is saying is a lot of people publish a book, and that's the end of the road for them. They're hoping. They're, I mean, the lineup of people that think they're going to work on a book for like a year or something and put it out in the world, and it's going to pay for their retirement. I mean, that just isn't the reality. So there's lots of people that publish books and put them out there, but the book is only, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 bucks, maybe 50 bucks. And so that limits what they can afford to spend because there's no direct ROI. It's not accountable. It's like brand branding. You can't really quantify the money you've made from the, the color you chose for your, your company. But what Glenn's saying here is because it was a funnel, because it was a process, and they knew because people would download the book for free or buy it on Amazon, and then they would come to the website, and then they would join the list, and then they would get the stuff, and then they could see we got this many leads, we made this much money, they had a value associated with each lead they got, which then gave them a budget that they could use for advertising their own book on Amazon. And that is something that none of the other authors really had because they may or may not, like, it was just not as easily quantifiable. Maybe someone read the book, right. but there wasn't, a, there wasn't like a, a, a paved road from the book to becoming a customer. They may have gotten the book, but then there's not really that clear path that I read the book, I went and opt-in, got the bonuses, and then I bought this thing from Glenn. And, you know, the other thing is that while I was writing the book, while I was marketing the book, I did not know what was going to happen with my life, and that was okay with me at the time. And I think, I think you could tell. And so I was just putting my heart and soul into connecting with these people and figuring out how to actually help them. And, um, you know, I, w I was obsessed with, wow, it seems like other people are resonating with this crazy journal that I wrote, and maybe I can really make a difference in the world here. And... I think that came through. And so people, we started talking about it in forums and you know, I started recommending it to other shows. And it, there was a viral component that I haven't really expected that was never really, virality was never really a part of my marketing before. Right. Um, it was so I, I think that I, 
the most passion that I ever put into any one particular project, and I, I think that paid off too. Mm, because people can resonate with that, you know, right? Now, how does it feel to be exposed like that? Like, did you feel very exposed at any point in time? I mean, like you said, you, this is your personal journal you're putting out there. You know, you're going through a divorce. Your emotions are probably, you know, in various levels. Um, you know, like is it's a it's a very polarizing book, and people either love it or, or hate it. And the people who love it say that it saved their life, mm. and the people who hate it accuse me of killing people. Um, killing people. And well, because this book is. Like the polar opposite of the 12 step programs, and it actually comes out against the 12 step programs. And so people will say that, um, because there's no scientific evidence that the 12 step programs work, mm. they say that it's at, it's only two studies ever done, say that it's at parity or worse than doing nothing at all. And they're sold up as if they're the only treatment for addiction. You know, in, in um, it's not so bad for food addiction, but if you think about it, if somebody is likely to get into a car and kill or maim someone if they have a drink and they're told that they can't quit, they can only abstain one day at a time, well, what they really need to do is quit and, and avoid alcohol as if it was arsenic for, for the rest of their life. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway, so a lot of the principles of what actually works to break addiction are the opposite of what People are told in the 12-step programs. And so it was somewhat necessary for me to explain that because I spent some time in 12-step programs trying to overcome my food addiction. And um, and so people said I was just being angry or rebellious. And, no, they don't know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so, I know. But, but for a while, go read the negative reviews on Amazon. Um, you know, for a while I thought, okay, am I going to lose my license? <laughs> wow. You know, and and I I you know, you feel suicidal when you when you read some of those things for the first couple of times. But after a couple of hundred reviews, you realize it's just a statistical pattern. You see the same criticisms over and over again, um, and you like I would try to reply to them, and there's no talking sense into anybody. Right. It's like it's okay, right. so ten percent of the people hate me. That's how it is. It's okay. Right, right, right. Okay. If, if, if you if you want to if you want to be loved and you really want to have an influence on the masses, then you have to be willing to be hated. It's just how it is. Right, because there's going to be people like no matter what they don't like change or they have vested interests in how it was before, or you know some of these people maybe they lost someone to addiction and then so they don't like what you're saying because they were the ones that put their family into a 12-step program or you know and 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 I mean uh, maybe the 12-step program is better than nothing, but addiction is very different than how we thought all these years. I think there was an experiment they did called Rat Park, where they made a bunch of like they had what they had like cocaine-laced water or something, and then normal water. But they made this wonderful little rat paradise, and they found that the rats that were socialized more in that, even though it was always accessible, used it less often versus the ones that were like isolated type thing. I forget. Uh, forgive me because I don't have all the details. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, the rats, the rats in an enriched environment are less likely. There, there are a number of factors which, which influence um, usage, and there are other genetic factors. And there are, but none of these factors will prevent someone from having a choice. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a really good old book called Addiction is a Choice that goes over all the scientific evidence that 
suggest that addiction is a choice, it's not a disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the primary objection I have to Alcoholics Anonymous is that they tell people that addiction is a disease and that there's no human defense against it. And they need to, you know, turn their will and their life over to the care of a higher power. I hate that. Yeah. You know, every major world religion, I'm not a religious person, but every major world religion expects you to behave well to please God. And in the 12-step programs, they tell you that, well, ask God to make you behave behave well. And it's kind of an inversion of how most of society works. It's, a, it's an abdication of responsibility and yeah, free will. That's, yeah, that's exactly why I said I hate it. It, it totally just is, it's not my fault. I'm going to just put the, you know, the... It's, it's up to God, inshallah, like a God willing. It, it, it's the it's devil made me do it dressed up in a clever religious cult. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Got it. Now I'm, I'm not going to get a bunch of hate messages. <laughs> well, no, but I think it's really true. Care. You have to, there's ownership. There's, I'm sorry, but anyone on listening to my show, if you don't believe in personal accountability, personal responsibility, stop listening to my show right now. Like, I hate that yeah. victim bullshit, like that mentality. Like, like I, I and I uh, look, I've suffered with addictions in my life too. Substance abuse with marijuana. I'm probably in the percent that ha, has been a heavy user in my life, and it's it's a tough thing to deal with. But I accept exactly you said that it's it's a choice. It really is a choice, and that's where I started. Some of the best successes I've had in my life with hand, managing it and handling it is where I made choices to eliminate it and and to put myself in environments and surround myself with people and to create hobbies and routines and habits where it was not, you know, it was just not supportive of, of, you know, smoking pot. You know, you can't, you can't smoke pot and do CrossFit. You just can't like try and do Fran, go smoke a bowl and then go do Fran. It's just not going to turn out well. (laughs) Go go do what? Go do Fran. Oh, oh, CrossFit, friend, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 the workout <laughs> friend, or Grace, or any of those. It's not going to go over well. Like, you can't. You can't really smoke weed and then go do a CrossFit workout and crush it. You just can't. But in a CrossFit workout, you always want to beat your buddy. Was, so. Yeah. Today was usually killed us. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, awesome. So, now let's go back to the book here. So, really, I mean, this is such a great blueprint what would you recommend anyone that's starting out and struggling if they've got a book already or if they're kind of at the beginning of this? Looking back now, would you do anything differently? Is there anything that you would – like what's some of your best advice to someone that's got a book that they're either about to publish or that they just published? I mean what would be your best advice? Well, step back and ask yourself what are the benefits of reading your book? Mm. And what are the benefits of reading your book over and above all the other books in the market, over and above – all the other ways that these people could solve this problem in, in their life. It, even if it's a novel, what, why is this novel better than all the other novels in the market? And come up with a bunch of other materials that will assist people and make them related to what it says in the book. You know, so, so for example, um, there's a chapter in my book that says, here's what happens if you do binge. And by the way, at the end of the chapter, it says, I've recorded a binge recovery audio for you to carry around on your smartphone and listen to the moment you recognize you've had a binge so that you can get back on track as quickly as possible. And then there's another chapter that says, um, you know, here's how you construct a food plan. By the way, I've created a set of food plan starter templates for whatever dietary philosophy you happen to be on. I mean, what, what people should probably do is, 
go study the way that I've done it and try to reverse engineer it. Because right. um, you, can, you can get the book for free, it never brings you again, and then you can, you can see the whole process. Um, and take the time to figure out a strategy for what's going to happen after people get your book and how are you going to get them on a list and what are you going to sell them? Because right. it's, it's exceptionally rare that people make a bunch of money with the book by itself. Right, right. Yeah, I say it to people all the time. The book is really just the world's greatest business card. You know, someone reads your book, they, they know your, your philosophy, they know what you're about, they know some of your history, they now get to know, like, and trust you, and so you're not a, you're, you're, you're out of obscurity, right? In the market, all these competitors exist, they're all sort of ex- obscure, but when someone's gotten your book and even flipped through a few pages, now you're no longer obscure, and then if you've really made an impression on them, you know, then they would probably choose you over other options, right, for anything else that they need, so... That makes great sense. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Okay. I, I don't know that I would do anything differently. I, I, I think that, I guess the piece that I left out was that the CEO of this publishing company, he put together a whole course on how to market on Amazon. He doesn't sell it any, anymore. It's, I think Ken McCarthy was talking to him about maybe these are really high-end things, but he's, right now he's not selling it. So he had just spent three years with his head inside the Amazon machine figuring out how they worked and what they needed. And so I just took his guidance every step of the way for what to do on Amazon. And he took my guidance about the copywriting and the marketing funnel. And, you know, together we were really powerful one-two punch. Mm, mm, mm. So I, I, think, I think that's why there's nothing I would do differently because he'd already figured it out. Right. Yeah, is there a lot of like anything like as the meta metadata or keywords really important for your Amazon page? Is that something that you yeah. think? Yeah, I, I don't know that I'd be the I mean you, I can get him to talk to you if you want to do an interview with him, but um I, I just I put in the words he told me to put in. Yep. Um selecting the right category is important. So like we didn't start out with weight loss per se. Now, now we're the number one for today we were anyway for weight loss and weight management but we started out with some less competitive subcategories and then we changed them over over time um, so there's strategies like that that are important but i don't i don't know how to speak to them yeah that's okay that's right all right yeah well that, i think that starting with the less competitive category makes sense because you'd be better off to be number one and then you know stair step your way into the big general once. So I think it's like that. It's almost like, I mean, it's, if, if people listen to the other interviews we've done with you, it's the same thing. Find your bullseye market, and then you can build bridges to the more general markets. But there are riches and niches, bitches. So niche it down as much as you can. Be as specific as you can. You know, get into that category. Dominate that category. And then, like what you've done, grow into the bigger mainstream ones. That makes a lot of did sense. You riches in, did you say there are riches and niches, bitches? Yeah, riches and niches, bitches. <laughs> I never heard the third part of that. It was funny. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it memorable. That's for sure. <laughs> so, Glenn, I want to be respectful for your time because I know it's really late for you. Is there anything I didn't ask you I should have asked you about this? Um, you didn't ask me about book marketing, but I didn't ask you. Um, go watch Joseph Campbell on Netflix. About how, and see how he describes the 
origin story. It's a common thread throughout mythology across cultures and across time. Um, a hero's journey is how he describes it. And you want to frame your story according to the hero's journey. So it goes something like this. You know, I was minding my own business, enjoying my life with my friends and family when a monster was thrust upon my village. I, there, there was much mayhem and death and suffering, and I couldn't ignore the call to duty. So I went on this grand adventure and through many trials and tribulations, I and and you know connections and adventures with friends and new weapons that I found, I managed to finally slay the monster. And I, now I'm back as an older, wiser person here to share the journey, give you the weapons that I forged, and tell you how to slay the monster in a much easier way, so you don't have to suffer like I did. Mm. That that story. Like that story is, is told across time and across cultures. And if you, if you listen to the podcast where I tell the whole story, as a matter of fact, you'll get it as soon as you sign up at Never Binge Again. Um, you'll see that my story follows that arc. My story follows that character arc. And if you can frame your story and the benefits people get are slaying the monster that you slayed, then you'll get people's attention more effectively, and that's part of what makes the story go go viral. So um, I would have focused a little more on that. I I I got popular too quickly in some ways. When when I was a kid, I played in a rock and roll band, and we always said that it was good that we opened out of town. We didn't open in our hometown because we kind of sucked. And it was good that the kids in our high school didn't hear us play right away. Right. Um, so I, I think the only thing I might do differently was I probably would have tried to open on some smaller podcasts and I wouldn't have said yes to, I wouldn't have said yes to some of the people that were really big so quickly um, because I'm much, much, much better at telling the story now than I was. I've told it 200 times now. I wasn't that good at telling it at first. Right. So that's all I would do differently at all. Got it. Glenn, as always, such a great, insightful conversation. So value-packed. Anyone listening to this, go to neverbingeagain.com. Just check out what he's doing. You can look him up on Amazon. Glenn Livingston. Definitely take a look. If you've enjoyed this interview, you definitely want to check out the others we've done as well. Glenn is just a magnificent resource of knowledge and experience. It is always a pleasure when we talk. Glenn, thank you so much. I know it's late. I know you had a full day. I know you have your own audience, your own 30,000 entrepreneurs you'd be talking to. So thank you for coming and sharing with me and helping enlighten us. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. 
Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.